You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, friends. I wanted to make a video to address some of the controversy that's been going on over the past few days. And first of all, to say thank you to everyone that sent love and support. I truly, truly appreciate it. And it's been very nice to hear from you. I wanted to make this video, first of all, because I think there's a lot of people that have a distorted perception of what I do, maybe based on sound bites or based on headlines of articles that are disparaging. Um, the podcast has been accused of spreading dangerous misinformation, specifically about two episodes, a little bit about some other ones, but specifically about two, one with uh, Dr. Peter McCullough and one with Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Peter McCullough is a cardiologist and he is the most published physician in his field in history. Dr. Robert Malone owns nine patents on the creation of mRNA vaccine technology and is at least partially responsible for the creation of the technology that led to mRNA vaccines. Both these people are very highly credentialed, very intelligent, very accomplished people, and they have an opinion that's different from the mainstream narrative. I wanted to hear what their opinion is. I had them on, and because of that, those episodes in particular... Uh, they, those episodes were labeled as being dangerous. They had dangerous misinformation in them. The problem I have with the term misinformation, especially today, is that many of the things that we thought of as misinformation just a short while ago are now accepted as fact. Like, for instance, eight months ago, if you said, if you get vaccinated, you can still catch COVID and you can still spread COVID, you would be removed from social media. They would, they would ban you from certain platforms. Now, that's accepted as fact. If you said, I don't think cloth masks work, you would be banned from social media. Now, that's openly and repeatedly stated on CNN. If you said, I think it's possible that COVID-19 came from a lab, you'd be banned from many social media platforms. Now, that's on the cover of Newsweek. All of those theories that at one point in time were banned were openly discussed by those two men that I had on my podcast that have been accused of dangerous misinformation. And welcome back to the Geared Ashley Mullet Show. That is Joe Rogan on Instagram. Just a selection, the first two minutes and 21 seconds of his thoughts on the latest controversy with Spotify, where he hosts his podcast, his show. It is an interesting show. It's a engaging show. It's also a very popular show. And because he's not playing by the same rules as the big corporate media types, they want to take him down. There's an effort, which so far doesn't seem like it's succeeding really truly, but just wait and see. It ain't over till it's over. <laughs> There's an effort to get him kicked off of Spotify, get him censored, uh, at a minimum control which of his episodes, what of his content can actually make it to the public, which of the guests he has on you can actually listen to his interviews with. And let me just say, if he goes along with that, if he acquiesces to that, uh, he's over. His, his brand is 
being authentic, having substantive conversations with interesting people, having honest, open dialogue, kicking things around. Do they talk about some crazy things on there? Absolutely. Is that why people tune in and listen? Also, absolutely. If you make it just like everything else, then nobody's going to want to listen to it. I don't think he's going to do that. I hope he doesn't do that. It would be a major mistake if he does that. But if he doesn't do that, they may succeed. It may just be a, a matter of time because he's done the unpardonable thing. It's not about the individual facts of what it is that he's communicating, what his guests are communicating. It's about the fact that he is disagreeing with the politically correct thing. He's saying something contrary to what the powers that be want you to believe. That's it. The fact that he has dared to do that, that he's not really backing down, at least not that I've seen. I mean, he has said later in the video, which I'll post a link to in the description for this episode of the Geared Ashley Mullet Show. You know, he has said, yeah, I could do a better job. Do I get some things wrong? Yeah. But I also try to correct that as soon as possible. But also, listen to what he's saying at the beginning of this video. A lot of the things that these guys were saying that were supposedly misinformation that got them deplatformed, that's gotten plenty of other people deplatformed from social media, those things that were misinformation and were getting people censored turned out to be correct. But when the mainstream media says it, that's when it's okay for you to say it and not a moment sooner. If you start saying it before the mainstream media says it, they will end you, if at all possible. But I want you to pay attention to the fact that regardless of whether we agree with him on everything, he's saying honest things. I think he's an honest participant in the public discourse I enjoy hearing his commentary even when I don't agree with it. And it doesn't mean that I'm going to all of a sudden start listening to his podcast when I wasn't, listening to his program when I wasn't. But he's had some really, really interesting back and forth discussions with guests that I have caught and that I have listened to. And I have benefited from hearing that back and forth dialogue. It's refreshing to see substantive, long-form, open-ended discussion with people who think differently. And that right there is something we need to protect. That's something we need to preserve and defend. That open-ended discussion we need more of, not less of. Maybe if we had more, <clears throat> more open-ended dialogue with people that we disagree with, Maybe we wouldn't change our minds, but maybe we would have less of the pain and destruction and devastation that we're seeing. Maybe just maybe. I'm not, just, I'm not saying it's all a matter of just talk it out, but I am saying there's a respect piece. There's a respect piece that is lost when we can't sit down with people we disagree with and listen to them. There's a respect piece that's severely lacking. And it starts from little on up. I think 
the reason why we don't know how to have conversations with people we disagree with, the reason why we don't know how to have dialogue that's respectful, that's back and forth, why we've lost critical thinking skills, why we've lost self-control and self-discipline when we hear something that challenges us is directly connected to the kind of education most of us have gotten, to the kind of upbringing that most of us have gotten. And increasingly in the past several decades in American society, the breakdown of the family means that a lot of fathers do not grow up in the home. And I say grow up because raising children, let me tell you, raising children is a process. It's not a you either have it or you don't. It's a process of maturation, of humbling yourself, of having a stiff upper lip, putting on, you, putting on your big boy pants, rolling up your sleeves and getting to it. And you make a mistake and you don't get it right and you address that. You don't always say the thing that's the wise, helpful thing and then you go back to your kids and you say, hey, you know what? Uh, no, let me correct myself here. I just had a conversation with my son yesterday that a lot of kids have not in the past several decades of American history, of American society, a lot of young kids have not had growing up. I had a conversation with one of my sons, I won't say which one, because the tone he was using when he spoke with his brothers and his sister it was not very respectful. It wasn't very respectful. It was very impatient and frankly condescending and sharp and rude. And go figure, they didn't appreciate being talked to that way, so they were going to give it right back, give as good as they got. And next thing you know, there's this big dust up. It didn't come to anybody pushing each other or you know, anything like that, but words are powerful and a lack of respect in what we say and how we talk to each other, whether we're listening to each other, whether we're considering one another, very quickly can turn into fisticuffs, if you will. It very quickly can turn into a physical altercation between kids if you don't get a handle on it, if you don't intervene, interject and say, hey, whoa, 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 guys. But I'm talking with my son and I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking to myself about the past several weeks of us being at home I work from home now, so that's one element. And then there's also the fact that my wife was going into labor way too early and she needed to take it easy. Hey, whoa, whoa, it's you know, a little soon. Not that it would be the end of the world, but it would be really a lot better, a lot best <laughs> if you could make it to 37 weeks. Don't want to spend a whole bunch of time in the NICU. That's time consuming. It would be not so good. It would be hard on all of us. And so we stayed home so she could try and take it easy. And then you come down the wire and it's like, wow, you're really, really pregnant, having a hard time walking. We're really, really fatigued. I'm trying to do double duty, keeping kids pointed in the right direction, doing their chores, doing their schoolwork, making sure she's okay, making sure they're okay. I'm exhausted. So we've been by and large home for the past month and a half. It's February 1st now. I think 
The last time we all went to church together was December 12th, which is too long. And we're feeling it. But I'm doing an inventory as I'm sitting my son down to address how he's talking to his brothers and his sister. And I said, listen, I realize it's probably a little bit confusing for you because if I'm honest, I think about some of the way I've been talking to you guys and it's been impatient and it's been abrasive and it's been rude and it's been overly sharp. It's been irritable. It's not been the best example for you to follow. And maybe in some sense you're following my example and then I'm correcting you for that. And you're feeling confused because I'm saying, do as I say, not as I do. And I need to improve on that. I need to work on that. I'm hearing it. You're, you're like a little mirror to me. I'm hearing it in the way you're talking to your brothers and your sister. I need you to not wait until I get it perfect to work on it too. <laughs> and he heard that, you know, and I saw, like you could, sometimes you can see that when you're parenting or when you have any kind of a hard conversation with somebody, you start owning your piece of it and it has a disarming effect. And the other person, maybe they looked like they were ready to fight. They weren't going to fight physically, but they were going to say something. They look defensive. They look tense. And you say something like that that disarms them. Hey, you're not being persecuted here. I'm not out to get you. I'm not trying to tear you down. I'm trying to build you up. We're in this together. I'm on your side. And I could I could physically see my son kind of come down off of that, de-escalating the back and forth. And he heard me. And the trouble is with a lot of broken homes in this country, a lot of kids who grew up without a father in the home, they didn't get that experience. And if they were just the only child, they didn't have anywhere to practice either, except at school, in the neighborhood. And if it's in the neighborhood and your mom's a single parent, she's probably just like, get out of the house, right? Like I'm, I'm exhausted, I'm overextended, I'm spread thin. So she's not seeing it, catching it, addressing it <clears throat> like she would, maybe. But especially like your father would. And so what you get is you get a lot of kids who grow up and they become adults and you train up a child in the way that they should go. Proverbs says when they're older, they won't depart from it. That's also true in the reverse. Train up a child in the way he should not go. When he's older, he won't depart from it. And so we've got a lot of kids who grew up in single parent homes, broken homes with maybe one sibling, maybe no siblings. And they don't know how to get along. They don't know how to have a conversation with somebody they disagree with. They don't know how to have a respectful dialogue. They don't know how to handle themselves in a debate or even a casual discussion. They're not disciplined. And you get millions and millions and tens of millions of them growing up like that. And they don't know how to sit down with somebody they disagree with about important issues that we need to figure out together. And it starts in the home. It starts in the home. Mom and dad didn't model how to have a respectful back and forth discussion. When they disagreed about something, when they were maybe irritated with each other, they didn't model that behavior for their kids. In fact, they modeled just the opposite. 
hey, when we disagree, when we have a argument, when we get in, when we get on each other's nerves, when we don't see eye to eye, we split up. And so then kids, they see a disagreement, they see some irritation, they see a dispute. Hey, we're not going to see eye to eye. And they either just cut to the chase, let's go our separate ways, or they blow up because they panic, right? They panic because they're going to lose this relationship. Maybe they agree with things that they shouldn't. That's where you get groupthink, and that's where you get bandwagon jumping, and that's where you get this manic obsession with everybody saying the same thing or close enough to the same thing. Who's your group? You better protect them because that's the closest thing to family you've got. And the mainstream media is scared that that mentality will rally around a Joe Rogan and is, if you look at the size of his audience, how much it's grown. I mean, this video from a day ago has got 7 million views for crying out loud. It's a 9 minute, 43 second video. Who knows how long most people are listening to it. I'd like to listen to the rest of it, but we're all busy. So somebody maybe rallies around Joe Rogan, and if they're in group, rallies around Joe Rogan, and it's red team versus blue team, it's Joe Rogan's podcast, the Joe Rogan experience, versus watching CNN, MSNBC, CBS, ABC. It's a dangerous game the mainstream media folks are playing. You get all these aging rockers saying they're going to pull their music from Spotify if Spotify doesn't get a handle on Joe Rogan. And young people are like, who? Neil Young. Who's he? The point is not to rally around Joe Rogan. I think Joe Rogan could handle himself. And I'm not going to put my hope in him holding the line, sticking to his guns, I do like that he says, hey, you know what? Sometimes I get it wrong. Can I do better? Can I be better? Yeah, absolutely. That's my goal every day. Do I want to correct myself if I say something I shouldn't? Yeah, absolutely. Do I think he's tempted? If he is feeling the heat, feeling the pressure, do I think he's tempted to back off, go along with cancel culture? I think he's tempted. I don't think he'd be human if he weren't tempted, if it didn't cross his mind. Hey, maybe I can compromise on this. But either way, it's the principle of the thing. It's the principle of the thing that this kind of groupthink, herd mentality, collectivist, everybody has to say the same thing, speak in unison, take your meds, watch your TV show, be passive, We can't disagree. We can't have a dialogue with people we disagree with about things. We can't critically examine and question the official narrative. You can't question the approved experts because it isn't just experts. That's not enough. They said trust the experts and trust the science. And then a lot of independent-minded folks said, well, okay, well, this expert's saying this. Oh, no, 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 You, you can't listen to that expert. Why? Oh, because we just deplatformed them. We threw their contributions down the memory hole. The big idea here really should be for people deeply concerned about what to do with the current predicament we find ourselves in, 
the big idea here is y'all need Jesus. <laughs> we need Jesus. There has to be an authority. There has to be an arbiter. There has to be a rubric for saying, this is how you treat people. And downstream from a personal relationship with the Lord, <laughs> a saving faith in the Messiah, we need to fall in love again with marriage. We need to rediscover God's good and glorious life-giving purpose for marriage. And I'm not just talking about procreation, like, hey, you get together and a baby comes along nine months later and that's it. That's life-giving. No, no. I mean, like the kind of life-giving that happens when I sit one of my sons down and say, hey, I hear the way you're talking to your mother. I hear the way you're talking to your siblings. I hear the way you're relating. You got a chip on your shoulder right now. What's going on? That's life-giving. I mean, the life-giving that happens when mothers and fathers teach their children how to adult so that they have some idea how to function when they grow up. Training up our children in the way that they should go so that when they're older, they won't depart from it. That's the kind of life-giving I'm talking about. I wrote and published, and this is why we homeschool, in 2020. And you can find my book online. Check it out. I've got a link on my various public social media platform accounts where I am. I try to put a link to my book. You can go to the thegearedashleymulletshow.com, subscribe for email alerts when new content is released. I've only missed four days last month, actually. I had new content, new podcast episodes every day, almost. You can go to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. Get it delivered to your email. You can see a number of different podcast offering platforms, whichever you prefer, probably more besides the ones that I've got up there right now. Subscribe. But you can also find a link to my book, buying my book online. You can get it on Kindle. You can get it on pretty much any ebook format, I do believe, not just Kindle. I believe you can get it on the Nook as well. But you can order it on paperback. Give it a read. I wrote that book because a far better solution to the problem we have, and I say problem singular, because if you trace these little tendrils back to their source, it's a problem. It has to do with our relationship with God, and our relationship with our wives, our husbands, our children, it starts there. It starts in the home. And parents for decades have sent their kids off to the public schools, hoping, trusting, assuming that that was the safe option, that was the safest option, that was the most, the most holistic uh, solution. That's just what you do, right? Like your kids get to a certain age, they get to school age, kindergarten, it's a rite of passage. We're going to send you off to kindergarten. Yes, we'll cry. You'll cry. Separation anxiety. You'll get over it. You'll make friends. It'll be fine. Except for decades, these little kids have been trained up to be collectivists who look to 
the government as the source for all information, anything worth knowing, anything they need to know, definitely not a source for meaning. So then they look in material things. That's part of why we've become so materialistic. So I wrote, and this is why we homeschool, because I firmly believe we will be in a much, much better place as a country if we have more kids being homeschooled, actually learning how to read, write, do their math, learning good science, like good science, cross-examining, don't get one expert, get multiple experts who disagree with each other. That's good science. The first status case seems right until another comes and questions him, Proverbs says. If the first to state his case is the only one to ever state his case and there is no questioning allowed, that should make you very, very concerned. And you shouldn't trust that. You shouldn't trust when there is no opportunity for cross-examining in good faith. And don't jump to the bad faith accusation, the ad hominem. But if a cross-examining is in good faith, either A, you'll find reasons to not believe the first account, or you'll be more confirmed because it stood up. It held water. But I wrote, and this is why we homeschool. And as I'm writing it, I'm writing and I'm thinking about, okay, who might pick this up? Who do I know that might pick this up? And I was thinking about conversations I've had with single parents who've said, man, I really want to homeschool my kid, but my ex is not on board with that. Or they're a single parent because they never got married to begin with. They had this kid out of wedlock, but they were taught by the culture and by the public schools that sex is perfectly natural, normal. There is no God doesn't really matter. The animal kingdom sets the standard for what is acceptable. Do whatever you feel. And then they get pregnant. And if they can't bring themselves to have an abortion, they have a baby. And now they've got a baby. And they're raising that child. And they're very concerned about sending their kid to the public schools because it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's physically dangerous. It's damaging to their emotional health, their spiritual health. I don't want that for my kid. But you're a single parent. So how's that going to work? If you need to work full time, if you're not independently wealthy, if somebody's not underwriting that, providing, how's that going to work? Well, it dawned on me the more that I wrote, and this is why we homeschool, you've got to deal with more than just homeschooling. There's more broken than that. You want to homeschool your kids, which I think would be great. How's the marriage scene? So we're going to have to fall in love again with marriage as God ordained. Not all marriages are created equal. Not all marriages are equally valid and healthy and holy and fruitful. Certainly not all marriages are equally happy. I think we can all agree on that. But what's happened is we've given up on marriage 
because for one thing, we have pursued pleasure, short-term thinking, instant gratification. We've pursued our own pleasures, self, and yet in the medium to long term, we've actually sacrificed pleasure and we didn't realize it. That wasn't advertised on the front end. We didn't realize what we were giving up or fear. That's the other piece. There's the kind of fear of missing out that far too many older people, even in the church, tried to instill in my wife especially. They didn't get very far with me, but my wife is quieter. and They thought they had a better shot making their case to her. Oh, you're so young. You should have fun. You should date around. Live it up. You'll be married soon enough, we're sure. Why throw away this time in your life to discover yourself? Hang out with your friends. See who's out there. There's an opportunity cost to getting married, settling down. If you're doing it according to God's plan for marriage, it's for life. You say, I do, and it's done. But there's also the fear of having a failed marriage. I know this was a big one for my brother before he got married. Our parents got divorced when I was in junior high. My brother was closer to the age of my son Daniel now. And my brother is looking at that and saying, I don't want that. I don't want to get a divorce like mom and dad got a divorce. If that's what it's going to be, I don't even want to get started. And a lot of young folks are just not getting married. Actually, most young folks are just not getting married to begin with. They're plum content to be confirmed bachelors and bachelorettes for the foreseeable, if not for the rest of their lives. They don't think that there are any good men out there, if they're gals. They don't think that there are any good women out there anymore, if they're guys. And they've given up. They've given up on the institution of marriage. And I guess, call me a glutton for punishment. I like a challenge. I like a fixer-upper. I want to explain why we got married, why my wife and I got married. Here's how we arrived at the decision that this is a value. And it's enough of a value that despite opposition, pushback that we got, disapproval we got, we got married anyway. Despite the challenges, very real challenges, because life's like that, we're happy that we got married. We're glad that we got married. So today, I hope, I hope, we'll see, but I hope to write the draft for chapter one of And This Is Why We Got Married. And I'll tell you, and I, I don't know. I mean, again, this is, Lord willing, I'm not going to brag about my plans. I've learned my lesson on that. But I'd like, within the next five years, to write and publish a roadmap for rebuilding our conception and our commitment to marriage and family and our children getting a good education at home from their parents. Parents being parents. Moms and dads being moms and dads. Moms and dads being married to one another in a committed, loving, biblical marriage. 
a biblical relationship. Loving, cherishing, respecting, honoring one another, modeling for their children what that looks like, going to church as a family. Yes, there are extenuating circumstances. Believe me, I know. We're in them. (laughs) But young people, listen up. You are not limited to doing what the rest of your generation is doing. You're not limited to doing what the previous generation or the one before that did. This train has been going off the rails in America for decades, well before you were born, well before I was born. Mary Eberstadt writes in How the West Really Lost God, a compelling case for our drifting away from religion, Christianity, faith in God, being caused by, as much as the result of, fewer people getting married, staying married, not getting divorced, not fooling around, not running off. Fewer Americans getting married and staying married and having children and training their children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. What if you were the generation that comes into the promised land after a long time, not 400 years quite, but a long time, long enough of hard bondage, what if that was your generation? Now, believe me, like there's plenty in the news. There's plenty in the headlines that I see every day. Every time he sends me a clip or somebody else's podcast, it seems like I'm hearing about our economy collapsing on World War Three and possibly a Civil War Two. And I'm paying attention to that. I think it's good to pay attention to that. Don't check out. I know video games are fun, but you're going to be inheriting this mess. So you best start taking notes. Start thinking about what you're going to do differently once you're in the driver's seat. Don't wait until you're in the driver's seat. Start now. But there's a lot of bad news. There's a lot of bad news. Here's some good news. The good news is there are actually young men out there who want to get married, ladies. There are young men out there who want to get married, and they're committed to doing marriage the way that God says we need to do marriage. doesn't mean they're going to do it perfect. doesn't mean that they're necessarily a stud in all the ways that the Hallmark Channel sets you up to expect them to be. It doesn't mean... They're going to match all of your very particular criteria, but maybe, just maybe, one of those men would make you a fine husband, ladies. And guys, yes, I know, I know, I know, I know. Feminism is awful. And Proverbs says, better the corner of a (laughs) rooftop better the corner of a rooftop than to dwell with a contentious woman. So you've got this whole MGTOW thing. You've got this men going their own way movement. It's like the masculine response to feminism. But the response is, I know you are, but what am I? And listen up, men. Like there are 
there are women out there who are saying the exact same thing you're saying. This is nuts. This is ridiculous. This is absurd. This is totally dysfunctional. And there's women out there who are saying, you know what? I just want to get married and have kids and be a stay-at-home mom and cook my husband meals and ask him how his day was when he comes home from work and raise a family. I just want to be a wife and a mother. But are there any men out there who still believe in that? Or are they all too busy playing video games? Are they all too busy batching it up? Where have all the good men gone? The women are asking. Where have all the good women gone? The men are asking. Where's Yenta when you need her? Oh, I guess I'll be Yenta. <laughs> but seriously, though, it really does start with, and this is where I'll be starting, it starts with what we believe about God. Who is God? Well, he's the creator. Okay, well, why did he create us? And how did he create us? What does he say about marriage? Why is this a feature? Why should I care? Sell it to me. Okay, let's go there. Let's talk about where you come from, why you're here, what you're supposed to be doing, where you're going. Let's lay that out. And oh, by the way, equal opportunity, young men, young women, build your expectations off of that. Build your expectations off of God's word. Your expectations of a potential spouse, potential mate for life, by the way, that's a critical component. That's a critical element in making it work is being committed. And somebody's going to laugh, I know, but there's this concept in military strategy of death ground. And what death ground means is you either fight and advance or you die. When Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy on D-Day to reclaim Europe from Nazi Germany, once those doors dropped and they were off the landing craft and on those beaches, there were only two options. You either advance on those machine gun nests and take them out and take those cliffs and take those positions and capture or kill those Germans or you're going to die right here. Those are your options. There's no going back. There's no retreat. It's a one-way street. And wouldn't you know it, consistently throughout history, again and again and again, putting your soldiers on death ground will get the absolute most out of them. Now, there's other things as well. You want to prepare your troops, train your troops, equip your troops before you put them on death ground, ideally. You want to give them an idea of what to do, how to fight, give them an ability to fight. But as far as a will to fight, if you don't have that, none of the rest matters. You don't have a will to fight, it doesn't matter that you've got the equipment, the opportunity. When you see your buddy shot down, mowed down to your left, blown up to your right, your instinct is going to be to run away. 
unless that's not an option for whatever reason. The stakes are too high. I got to take this. I'm going to have to fight and win. And then what do you know? Maybe you do. Maybe you do win. How about that? How's that for an idea? So you commit to your spouse. You commit to your bride, men. You commit to your groom, ladies, for life. Put yourself on death ground. And be careful on the front end that you both believe here's who God is. Here's what he did. Here's why we're here. Here's who we are. Here's what we're supposed to be about and doing. Get yourselves into a community of believers in Jesus who believe that, who believe those things, who are going to encourage you and build you up, correct you when you need correcting. Be open to that. You need that. Give you a morale boost and a pep talk when you need that because you need that sometimes. Stand shoulder to shoulder with you. Give good counsel. And have kids. And train them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Homeschool them. Be their mom and dad. And if you put yourself in a position to do that to God's glory out of a wholehearted, full-throated love for God and a genuine love for your neighbor. This country will not look in 30, 40 years like it does right now. It just won't. This will be a totally transformed country. That's what revival looks like. That's the vision. And this is why we got married. And this is why we had children. And this is why we homeschool. And this is why we go to church. Like I'm going to hand you each of these books in turn. And that's what I'm going to say when I hand them. And this is why we got married. And this is why. And this is why. And this is why. So you can pray for me in that regard. Real quick, before I let you go, I'll read for you the outline. I've basically taken the format for, and this is why we homeschool, taken that and adapted it. I'm not going to give away my writing prompts. You're going to have to just wait and see on those. Chapter one, male and female, he created them. Let's talk about gender and let's talk about humanity. And let's talk about God and being created by God, male and female, different. Where do we come from? Chapter 2. It's not good for the man to be alone. First thing God ever says is not good. Is a single man. Not so good. Chapter 3. A help meet suitable for him. Chapter 4. The purpose of marriage. Chapter 5. Swiping left on the dating scene. Chapter 6. What the declining divorce rate belies. It's misleading, by the way. A little teaser there. Chapter 7, Distinguishing Serial Monogamy from Fidelity. They're not the same thing. Being married to one person at a time, that's not what the good Lord was talking about. Chapter 8, Marriage Inequality. You've heard of marriage equality. Let's talk about marriage inequality. Chapter 9, Men Going Their Own Way and the Feminine Mistake. Not to be confused with the feminine mystique, although... In a sense, they are one and the same. 
Chapter 10, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Chapter 11, loving her like Christ loved the church. And I'll tell you, I do need to tell you this much. Loving your wife, men, like Christ loved the church is not just you washing her feet and taking a bullet for her if somebody breaks in in the middle of the night. There's a headship and authority piece there, a protectiveness and a leadership authority that we need to rightly understand. Not just servant leadership, but leadership leadership. going to make some people squirm. And we're going to love it. It's going to be great. Chapter 12, in sickness and health till death do us part. Watch for me to talk about health problems and financial troubles because they're real. And so what do you do when one of you gets sick and is not feeling so good? And what do you do when the money is tight? Chapter 13, to whom we belong. Chapter 14, so young. Chapter 13, by the way. I've got a big surprise. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I've got a big surprise in chapter 13. It's going to knock your socks off. Chapter 14, so young. Chapter 15, the fear of failed marriages. Let's talk about the fact that your parents didn't stay together. Let's go there. Chapter 16, unhappily ever after. Which sounds better? Happily ever after or unhappily ever after? Well, when those are the choices, when you put it that way, chapter 17, better the corner of a rooftop. By the way, chapter 14 through 18, I'm going to deal with miscellaneous objections. We're going to do kind of some finish work, clear up some of the principal objections that I know of. Yes, I just laid out this framework. You still have some hangers on. Oh, but what about this? What about that? What about that? Chapter 17, better the corner of a rooftop is going to talk about the concern, a valid concern, of being paired with somebody who henpecks you for the rest of your life or criticizes you for every little thing, tears you down instead of building you up. We're going to talk about that. Pro tip, don't be awful to each other. You want to have a happy marriage. Don't be awful. It'll help your other half to not be awful to you too. It's a little more complicated than that, but that, that'll that get you most of the way there. And chapter 18, last but not least, marriage, And that is literally M-A-W-W-I-A-G-E. Marriage. And just for fun, just to close it off, with a good time, because I like movies. I think we all like movies. We're going to talk about romance in movies and unrealistic expectations for men and women. How has men being portrayed, the way that they've been portrayed romantically, set women up for disappointment and to be old maids? How has the way that women are presented romantically in movies set men up with unrealistic expectations and influence them toward wanting to be confirmed bachelors for the rest of their lives. But also, you've heard that one, I'm sure, but also 
to what extent are the tropes in movies, you know, movies that are geared more towards men present certain themes with regards to the love interest. Why is that? Is there some there there? Is there actually some element of realistic expectation that's built up? It's probably not all one or the other, all or nothing. Same also for the women. Maybe there's some validity to the Hallmark movie handyman trope, shtick, archetype. But let's talk about it. In any event, I'm going to work on chapter one today. Hopefully, if not today, tomorrow, hopefully. Male and female, he created them. First, before I do that, though, I need to get up, walk around a bit, stretch, see what the wife is doing, see what the kiddos are doing. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.